As far as humans like the ways and maybe the human circle saying the same thing, still humans didn't act very smart. Caller, caller, my ambulance is already on the way. Okay, they are already coming. I need you to take a breath so I can tell you what to do to help. Okay. All right, I need... Oh, to the gun. What do I need to do? Help me, do not touch anything else other than what I am telling you to touch. Somebody needs to open the door. I have units on the scene. My son's trying to come again. Please, please. No, no. Okay, hang on. Somebody go unlock the door. The 911 call you just heard was placed by James Allen Brazell just six days before Christmas in 2016, when he heard gunshots coming from somewhere in his family home. Alan raced through the house to find his stepdaughter, Ashley, and her 16-year-old brother, Sonny, standing over her with a gun in hand. His wife, Nicole, screaming in the background, Alan frantically called for help. As haunting as the 911 call was, the interrogation would turn out to be even more chilling. 16-year-old Sonny proves to be one of the most stoic and emotionless suspects we've ever seen. It's hard to reconcile how someone like Sonny, with an IQ of 155 to 160, described as highly to exceptionally intelligent, has landed in this seat. When police arrived on the scene, they found the festively decorated exterior of the house masking a horror scene inside. In an exclusive interview, Alan and Nicole Brazell recount what they can remember from that terrifying night. Later, we'll hear from Sonny himself. Ashley said she was going to go to bed. Sonny was going to go to bed. He's been awake, too, all day and at work. So everybody was kind of tired. Alan was already, I think, in the bedroom. I think he came and told everybody good night. I went straight into the room. I just heard her put on my robe, and I think Ashley was going to go ahead and eat some soup that I had cooked. As soon as I go to sit down on the bed, the light's already off in the bedroom, I hear what I think is firecrackers. It's all my mind, pop, 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 firecrackers. Sonny being such a mild kid and Ashley being, they both were kind of like little professors, responsible kids. They got great grades in school. I know that I bought firecrackers for New Year's Eve. And I'm thinking, I cannot believe one of them let off firecrackers. Cause I hear Ashley say, Sonny, very surprised in shock. That's all I hear through the door. And then I hear firecrackers. So I throw back on my robe. They don't have clothes. I throw back on my robe. Alan jumps up. And I, so I go to go outside. I mean, I am furious. Like, what? I, who let off firecrackers in the house? What? I can't even believe they would do this. Either one. I don't even think either one would do it. I was closest to the door going out into the hallway. And so whenever I heard it, you know, pretty much immediately I knew what it was, you know, because I am a country boy. Uh, I'm a country boy. I'm a hunter and I have guns and I've always had guns. So I immediately knew what it was, but I didn't put it that it was somebody from in the house, like Ashley or Sonny. I thought somebody had came in the house, you know, like a break-in. So I immediately reached down and grabbed my handgun and started toward the door. And something told me, don't take your gun out there. And, of course, you know, you have these conversations with yourself really, really fast. Like, are you crazy? I'm not going out there because I knew it was gunfire. And I'm like, I'm not going out there without some kind of protection, you know heard it again pretty much you know don't take your gun out there put it down so i put the gun down and i kind of tossed it on the bed and headed out the door 
And when I got there, I immediately saw Sonny standing there and he had a gun in his hand. Of course, I didn't know where he got the gun because it was a Christmas present that I didn't know about. So I yelled at him. I said, Sonny, I said, put the gun down. He was immediately obedient as he always was. And he leaned down, he put the gun down, and I kind of grabbed him by his shirt and kind of scooted him or slung him over to the side up against the hallway there. And I said, you stand right here. I said, do not move. He did. He just stood there. He didn't say anything, but he stood there. So we went to check on Ashley. That's when she went in This is all in a matter of like instant seconds. I'm like, Ashley, Ashley, because I see no... I don't realize... I'm still looking for like a firecracker damage. I know this sounds strange, but the mind... You know, like, I'm still stuck on firecrackers. It was at this point that Sonny's stepfather rushed back to the bedroom to find his cell phone and call for help. That exact minute, I guess, Sonny bends down, picks up that gun again. It's on the ground. He's a little bit away from it. I have pulled Ashley from the couch, not being a, I'm a tall gal, but she was only about five foot five, lightweight. But I try to get her, pull her from the couch. And I realize he's, Sonny's grabbed the gun. He runs to our bedroom. So I start screaming around. Oh, my God. Sonny, don't do it. This man runs through the house and runs to the bedroom. Sonny, you know, and he took off to the bedroom and I turned around and I saw him go to the bedroom. I started toward the door. Sonny had ran around our bed to the furthest point away from the doorway. He was staring straight ahead at the door, but he was trying to change the clip in the gun, to change the magazine in the gun, because he had shot everything out of the first clip whenever he was in the living room. He's holding the gun. He's holding both of the magazines in his hand, and and he's not looking down to see what he's doing. And, of course, he had never handled this gun before. You know, so by the time I ran over there, he pushed the magazine into the gun, and he stuck the gun up to my chest from where I was at at this point in time. I was up right in front of him, you know, and I was fixing to grab a hold of him. And, and he was just kind of staring straight ahead, and he just started pulling the trigger. He had put the same magazine back in that he started with that was empty. If he had gotten the right magazine, I wouldn't be here today. I would, You know, I definitely wouldn't have made it. And so I snatched the gun and everything out of his hands, and I grabbed him and just kind of walked him into the living room <laughs> and set him on the little love seat. And he was kind of looking over the living room where Nikki was still in there with Ashley on the floor. And he's still in dad mode. He says, sit right there and don't move, which is shocking to me because of the situation. And the most wicked, horrible, heart-trembling, terrorizing thing happened. I'll... I'm doing this and I look up. He's he's trying to unlock the door so then the police come and get a towel. And I mean I'm frantic. His eyes are all the dark. Suddenly now this is someone I've been with just 30 minutes. This is my son, right? We've all been eating and snacking and on a video chat. Everything around here has become dark black. And the the voice that comes out of the mouth says, because I'm square, I'm literally hysterical at this point. I'm screaming. What happened? Ashley, answer me, because there is no, I mean, you would think if a whole clip, right, she would be, there would be blood, right? There's none. I'm screaming, Ashley, what happened? What happened? What happened? I hear the most darkest, deep voice say, she can't talk to you. She's dead. When police finally arrived to take control of the scene, they found bullets behind the couch and in the storage drawer beneath it. The gun was found in the master bedroom, 
where Sonny's stepfather had left it after taking it from him. Police were put in the peculiar predicament of having both a suspect and weapon already established before they arrived. As paramedics raced to save Ashley's life, investigators arrested Sonny Kim and took him to be questioned before he learned his sister's fate. Please note that throughout the interview, police addressed Sonny by his middle name, Christopher. The following never-before-seen footage has been analyzed by a qualified team including a licensed professional counselor, a licensed clinical psychologist, and a licensed attorney. Sonny spends a good deal of his time waiting to speak with officers, conversing with himself. While the audio isn't easily discernible, he appears to be talking about computers. Yeah, well, is there a top? Uh, it's supposed to be, I think it's computer. It's supposed to be $500 for the R7 whatever. Uh, Matched speed of 600 Hey, Christopher. Hey, my name's Josh. I'm calling Josh. I'm the investigator with Columbia County. How you doing, man? Okay. In Georgia, a minor may be taken into custody during a lawful arrest. Georgia law states that a law enforcement officer taking a child, or in this case, 16-year-old Sonny, into custody must promptly notify the parent, guardian, or legal custodian about why the child is being brought into custody. Once in custody, if the police want to question the minor, they may do so without the parent present, as there doesn't appear to be a definitive law that states parents must consent to interrogation of their minor child. While police may interrogate the minor without parental consent, the court will still determine if any statements made under a Miranda waiver are admissible. With this all in mind, the officer is free to get to the heart of the matter. He jumps right in and asks about the victim, Sonny's sister, Ashley. Tell me about your sister. Uh, Ashley Kim. I think she was 2022. She lived in Colorado. She was, she was recently, yeah, she recently broke up, lost her job, broke up with boyfriend, I think someone was, who it is? Uh, she moved, she came back over here for Christmas. Okay. After attending a concert in Atlanta, which she remembered. Three days ago, I believe she left something like that. As far as Ashley goes, uh, that's it. I, any particular information? Chillingly, Sonny uses the past tense when discussing his sister, even though he has no way of knowing her current medical status. I mean, has she been in town long? Um, only for a few days. When did she move out of Colorado? Uh, I believe it was like about a year ago-ish. She got a job, I think, as a secretary or something around this one. Yeah, I think it was a secretary. Paperwork stuff. Paperwork stuff, boring stuff, right? Yeah, so things like that. I understand. The officer switches back to asking about Sonny. Just like when he was asked about his sister, Sonny gives a superficial, impersonal answer. From what, I, from what I gather, you have, a, you have a job, you work, and you've already kind of graduated high school. Yes. Can you tell me a little bit about yourself? Uh, 16 years old, male. Stating that he's 16 years old male is a highly atypical manner of speech and an indication that Sonny may be completely detached from what just happened with his sister, since this description of himself seems to be made in third person. Where did you go to, where did you go to high school? Uh, I was some sort of most part. Okay. And then you... Uh, Finished up and taking some classes at GMC. Yep. Right. Hey, do you have a job? Yes. Where do you work? At uh, Computer Exchange. Do you really? Yes, I'm Washington. Bro. I've been there a couple times. Really nice. Good, good service over there. Always been pleased with uh, the work that I've done on my computers. 
Notice how intense his eye contact is. Normally, this can be an indication that someone is watching to see if the other person accepts what they're saying, especially in the case of a lie, as someone wants to see if they're being believed. But Sonny has no reason to be looking for acceptance given what he's saying. Instead, this might indicate that he has some kind of social skills deficit, and he's been taught to make eye contact rather than naturally making some eye contact as part of typical conversation. He comes across as robotic so far. Here we see the officer once again attempting to connect with Sonny on a personal level by establishing common ground and building rapport. Just like before, though, Sonny doesn't appear to care and does not respond as the officer had likely hoped. With that technique rendered pointless, the officer is forced to ask Sonny more direct questions, and his response is disturbing, to say the least. I wanted to talk to you about the events that happened tonight, okay? Can you walk me through everything that happened tonight, Christopher? Kind of start at, start at the beginning? Sure. Uh, so, I suppose the beginning is yes. Uh, well, a bit of pretext, I suppose. Okay. Uh, we had planned to get uh, my father a new 1911 uh, 45 caliber pistol. Uh, about a week ago, we picked it up from the academy. Uh, I, we were hiding in my room, and Joey could uh, package it and put it under the tree. Uh, basically, well, this, not yesterday night, uh, but uh, earlier, this interaction shows that Sonny may not be oriented to time, which could be considered typical given the stress of the situation. He may not show any overt signs of distress, but the way he described himself a couple of minutes ago, plus his lack of awareness of exactly when he shot his sister, are indications of emotional distress. Uh, walked out of the room with the gun loaded. First magazine was the one with the extended grip, eight rounds in it. Uh, well, there was seven rounds in it and one in the chamber, and then the second magazine in my left pocket. Uh, this one here was seven rounds in it. In your, in your left pocket? Yes. Front pocket or back pocket? Uh, front pocket, but, uh, I also had a pair of gloves on. Uh, yes, a pair of uh, work gloves-ish. Velcro uh, here-ish and here-ish. Sonny is clearly a detail-oriented guy, as he describes his gloves. Sometimes, suspects may provide these types of unnecessary details out of nervousness and their desire to cooperate with the interrogation process. Sonny must at least be aware that he's in trouble, so it makes sense that he wants to be cooperative. At the same time, his mention of being male and the other details he's provided thus far could also give us a clue as to his personality type possibly very rigid and perfectionistic. Uh, after that, I walked out to the living room, and I turned left. I saw my sister, and I put uh, about eight rounds into her chest from here, plus Sonny says, ish, again. This also indicates his high degree of rigidity and precision in the way he thinks and speaks. Sonny also maintains his highly formal and rigid manner of speaking, as if he was providing step-by-step -step instructions to someone or telling a story. He's markedly detached from the actual event. His voice remains even, and he still is showing no signs of overt stress. Uh, after that, uh, my, both of my parents uh, ran from their bedroom door. I came up to the third door, held both the gun and legs in my hands, and then dropped them on the floor while they were watching me after they come out. Uh, Mother, my mother rushed to, um, to my sister's body. My father started calling 9-11, uh, or 9-1. Uh, 
The way that Sonny presents being really out of touch with reality and definitely out of touch with emotions and empathy is similar to another case, that of Michael Hernandez. Michael told investigators that he wasn't angry when he killed his friend, Jaime Goff, but that he wanted to try murder. Um, I was planning to murder him. And is there any specific reason why you planned this? No, there's not. And once they did that, uh, yes, uh, so the gun was left on the ground. I believe about 10 to 20 seconds after he started calling, uh, he walked away and I went for the gun and grabbed the extra magazine from my pocket. However, I'm not very skilled in firearms, so uh, I didn't load the magazine correctly and was able to chamber around, attempted to shoot my father once, and then I uh, sort of, was it, feigned, just feigned putting the gun down and then tried to shoot him again. Not very good at firearms, so I didn't, I wasn't able to kill him. But after that, uh, yes, I took the gun away from me. I sat back down on the couch, uh, waited for them to arrive, uh, Basically, the whole process of them uh, tending to sister's wounds. Uh, after I came back, she was pulled off on the ground. Yes, and then that's uh, when the, all the police arrived. I was put in cuffs and carried up in a squad car. And after that, uh, for a while after, I can't remember what order it was. It was either a fire truck or an ambulance ride, but mm -hmm. that's just, you know, uh, basically. Wow. Okay. Sonny explains everything in a very distanced way including his own arrest, as if he's completely detached from the world around him. Depersonalization involves feeling detached from oneself, as if observing one's thoughts, emotions, and actions from a distance. Other symptoms include feeling emotionally numb, disconnected from one's surroundings, and experiencing memory difficulties. Sonny makes no effort to hide his intentions either. He references his sister's body instead of calling her by name. Again, at this point in time, Sonny doesn't know whether she's dead or alive. He also openly admits to trying to shoot his father twice. He could have taken the opportunity to claim he had a change of heart in an effort to potentially look better, but instead admits that he wanted to and would have shot his father if the gun had not stopped working. Unfortunately, there's no other information about why exactly the gun stopped working. Chillingly, he shows absolutely no remorse and continues to sound cold, detached, flat, and methodical. He might as well be describing how to put a computer together piece by piece. When you were putting, when you were putting the, uh, the magazine into, into the weapon and chambered around, what, what, were your, what was your plan? Uh, initially, uh, the, uh, my idea was uh, kill father, mother, sister in order of uh, threat. So, for some reason, though, I didn't go along with that. I'm not sure. Suppose I didn't really act the way I was planned. For some reason, Sonny ranks his family in order of threat. It could be assumed that he means he intended to kill them in order of who was best equipped to disarm and stop him. But that isn't necessarily true. The officer will have to follow up on this later. For now, though, he lets Sonny maintain his train of thought, and it's important that the interrogator doesn't interrupt once they get a suspect talking. This is because it allows them to get their full, uninfluenced account of what happened. And the interrogation only gets stranger. And, uh, the idea was walk into the bedroom. Both parents were either sleeping or resting. Kill father, kill mother, and then walk out into the living room and kill her. Uh, you know, order of that smack to forget, I forget the word, but uh, anyway, that was the plan. However, uh, 
I suppose humans act in weird ways, and me being human, I'm susceptible to the same thing. And why I wore the gloves is because I figured my hands would get sweaty being right. humans, uh, nervousness and humans and such. So I wore them so, you know, I would be able to maintain my grip on the weapon and such. Uh, however, uh, still, humans didn't act very smart in a way. Uh, basically, I looted all the rounds. I meant to only put one or two in there, but I don't know, I'd never shot someone before, so. They seem like blanks. I mean, basically nothing. I didn't couldn't do with any understandable impact or uh, anything. So I suppose I just kept on shooting, and then after that, uh, I put walked up to and uh, moved to the my pants store and stood there with you know weapon in my right hand, right, and then uh, magazine left hand, and then I dropped my gun. Nicole Brazel, Sonny's mother, ran an embroidery business out of the house, teaching textile arts to students. His stepfather, Alan, had accepted Sonny like his own son. Sonny's sister, Ashley, was known to be outgoing and had been enjoying her time at college in Colorado. In the sixth grade, Sonny asked his mother if he could drop out of school, in large part because he felt bored. He was homeschooled for a while, and at 13, he started working for a company who his mother had a contract with, before working at a computer store. At 15, he started at the Georgia Military College, where he completed high school classes alongside college classes. Altogether, they appeared to be the picture of a happy family. In an exclusive interview, Sonny talks about his childhood in more detail and about his relationship with his mother and sister. My biological father left the country and went to Seoul, Korea, and my mother kept us afloat tooth and nail, and she fought for us. Prior to my incarceration, I was actively working at computer exchange and taking classes at GMC. And I was, I suppose, living a good life. I was always provided for, I was always taken care of, and I had loving parents every step of the way. And she got us out of debt. Eventually, we were, you know, a stable household. She met Alan, and, you know, he's a great guy. So I, I have had a really wonderful set of parents. I don't think I could have asked for. I owe everything to them, Every pretty much everything good in my life that they've been responsible for in some way shape or form ashley was uh, a bigger sister she had the kindest heart out of all of us Ashley got a lot of our kindness i'm not sure what i got i lean on her a lot for a lot of things she was between her and my mother they were the only two stable things that i really had in my life ashley was someone you could always come to and she was always put together i could always trust her judgment i suppose i get my morals from her you know she had a real heart for people i love that about her he was her favorite out of everybody, and she was his favorite. They had the most in common. They were both very smart, very high IQs. Yet Sonny manages to erase all of that personality and all of that love in the interrogation room. This clinical and detached way of speaking appears to be a symptom of depersonalization, which is closely related to dissociative amnesia and dissociative identity disorder two very serious mental illnesses. There's no anger here, no emotion at all, and no indication that he had major issues with his family. It's almost like he was possessed and is now just describing what he saw. He's speaking like the lights are on, but nobody's home. I suppose I just saw her and I not I didn't recognize her as a son, but shot the first person I saw, I suppose. Mm -hmm. uh, not a reaction, obviously. I actually did not. not the way I intended to, as I didn't make enough room or take into account, you know, 
the way humans act. Right. They mainly meet as far as humans go. Yeah. So. With Sonny so forthcoming regarding the details of the crime, the investigator seeks to confirm what Sonny's stepfather, Alan Brazell, told them about the crime. When your father went to chase after you uh, in the bedroom, that, what bedroom was that? Uh, it was the, it was the largest bedroom, it's the master bedroom, the one where they sleep. Okay. So, yeah, I had a large king-size bedroom. And, and you, you told me that you had, at that point in time, you had, he had dropped the weapon. And, yes. then, and then you reached down and picked it up about 20 seconds later. Uh, it was about two, three feet, uh, about a meter away from me. Right. So I ran from the couch, grabbed it, and then ran off. And then proceeded to take the magazine from my pocket. And well, what were you trying to do when you ran away? Uh, my plan was to grab the weapon and load the magazine and shoot my father. And then shoot my mother. Okay. And... Your father ran after you yes. and, and caught you in the bedroom. Yes. And you did not have a chance to load the magazine at that point in time? Or what I, happened at I didn't load it, but I, I fumbled with it. And I did load it into the gun, not all the way, though. Right. So I wasn't able to pull back the hammer all the way, uh, so I'd slide back all the way. Uh, the second time after I feigned, uh, putting the gun down after he told me, you know, don't do it, etc. Uh, after I put it back, I tried to uh, send the magazine back in with the... Back of my wrist about here, right. uh, and then pull the slide back out, but that didn't uh, solve it either. So uh, he ended up uh, taking his firearm away from me okay. and walked back to the living room. Did uh, did you attempt to pull the trigger while he was coming at you? Yes. Okay. Both times. Both times. Yeah. And both times it, it failed to fire. Yes. Right? Okay. And that's when your father caught up with you and, and took the weapon from you. Okay. Did, did you say anything to him after that, or, or what happened after? Uh, after I, he got the weapon from you. Uh, after that, uh, I basically, uh, he walked, he ran back into the living room, uh, put the gun down on the ground, uh, across the living room, away from the couch where I was sitting, which mm -hmm. was uh, red. Oh, see, I leave my pants, parents called it. It was a red couch, and you, uh, and you placed it on the other side and then helped my mother in attending to my sister's wounds. Mm -hmm. uh, after he put the gun down on the ground, I did consider either running to my room, where there was a really shotgun, or running for the gun. However, I didn't act on either, so I figured my chances were low of getting either done, so I didn't think it was worth it. With Sonny's confession recorded in more than sufficient detail, we can now tackle the question of why Sonny decided to undertake such unprovoked violence. What were you thinking about? What, what made you want to kill your sister and your parents tonight? What, what's been going on? Um, well, it's been pretty good, actually. Uh, I've got a job, had classes, it's going pretty well. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, nothing really is bad in that nothing, nothing pretty good thought. Nothing bad, you just wanted to do it? Uh, not even wanted, I just did. Okay. Let's back up. Excuse me. A few minutes ago, we were talking about when you were loading the, uh, the putting the rounds in the magazine, and then loading the, that magazine into your weapon. And you said that the initial plan was to go to your parents' room and then shoot them first, and then go into your living room where your sister was and then shoot her. What made you deviate from that plan? I don't know. I when I, I first saw my sister, and the first thought I suppose was I don't know. Uh, I, I was supposed to go to my parents' room and kill uh, father and mother, but I saw my sister, and for some reason, I don't know why, I remember the magazine into her torso. Is there any reason why you'd want to kill everybody? I mean, did they, did they hurt you? 
Yeah. And they made life miserable for you. They abusive to you physically. Not now. None whatsoever. There, there was no reason for it. It just. In two words, Sonny provides what could be very important information. If he had been abused as a child, this may give some insight into his detached behavior, as ongoing physical abuse is often the accepted explanation behind pathological dissociative behavior or disorders. This could be in reference to Sonny's biological father, who was allegedly neglectful. But Sonny doesn't elaborate, so the officer tries honing in on a different part of the crime. What made you want to kill your mother and father? There wasn't really any motivation for it. Actually, uh, one thing, oh yeah, no, never mind. I told you about uh, trying to shoot my father and then failing and trying to get my mom. But as far as motivation for killing my parents, uh, none really existed. Uh, my father did a lot of the chores. My mother worked quite hard at her job. Father insisted. Uh, my mother at her job. I mean, they, we all had a relatively good life. That's right. Right. Did you get a sense of satisfaction when when this was going on? Uh, no, I didn't really feel anything. And your mother was tending to your sister's wounds, like you said, and you were considering, when she was asking you, why did you do it? Did that a number of times. Yeah, I'm sure. Um, what was running through your mind when, when she said that? At the moment, it, the only thing that I was thinking of really was I had the gun and, the, and then after, you know, uh, I had the gun on the shotgun in my room, passed through my mind. I didn't really think of much, but it's just sort of... You were in, you were still in your plan mode of, can I get a weapon and kill mom and dad? Yes. Is, is that what you were thinking? Yes. Did that make you happy? Uh, no. I, I Did it make you sad? No, I didn't really feel much. It just sort of happened. Do you have any idea why it just happened? Uh, not really. Okay. Um, Sonny's answer of not really here is interesting. He actually seems to not understand it himself. No, I was going to say that an opportunity to itself to kill my family, and I just did for no reason, but having had weapons in my uh, room for basically one or two years now, that's, you know, I've had the opportunity for a while. Well, why did you decide tonight? Uh, tonight was, I suppose it was a bit spontaneous. Yeah, uh, I thought it was six days to Christmas or something like that. But uh, that mother, my parent, my mother would come in and, you know, uh, have wrapped the gun the next day or something along those lines. So I figured the likelihood of her wrapping the gun the next day is fairly high. So right. I said, now I still have access to the firearm. Even though Sonny's rationale for committing the crime tonight is disturbing, it still doesn't entirely make sense. Even if the gun had been wrapped and placed under the Christmas tree, Sonny would have still had access to it and multiple other firearms he could have used in the attack. Is this something you thought about doing for a while, or is this something that you've been thinking about for the past couple minutes? It was sort of an impulsive and not really something I've considered before. Here, Sonny expresses an impulsive element to his actions, which supports the fact that he may struggle to differentiate between his thoughts and the reality of acting out his thoughts. What ultimately made you decide to, to shoot your sister in the chest? I don't know. Something in my, I can't remember what it was, something in my mind basically led to me uh, loading the gun and that, what was it doing? Something interesting happens when Sonny tries to talk about what was going through his mind in the moments before the shooting. Well-spoken up to this point, Sonny starts to stumble over his words, 
giving only partial thoughts and attempting to start a sentence over. Something in my, I can't remember what it was, something in my mind basically led to me. When he isn't able to describe what he thought or felt, he reverts to talking about the physical details. Uh, we basically ended up blowing the gun, and after the gun was loaded in my bedroom, I walked out. And I suppose at that point, I, I don't know what I was thinking, but I suppose I just shot it. I don't really have much of an explanation. Okay. What emotions were running through you when this was going on? Not much. Were you happy? Were you sad? Or I Did you care? I kind of stood there, I suppose. Okay. The stuttering and stumbling over emotional words is likely a sign of anxiety, so he retreats back into the world of dissociated details. This could be due to a lack of comfort or understanding of emotions to begin with. Do you think that you killing your family, it's, it's wrong? Uh, yes, it is socially and morally wrong. Okay. And didn't you think you were going to get in trouble if that was to happen? Yes, I was certainly going to be apprehended by these noise. Okay. But you still went through with it anyways? Yes. Why? I don't know. Uh, either it was out of curiosity, boredom, or something else. Chillingly, curiosity or boredom could have very well been the case, as Sonny admits. Although he seems to lack empathy, there's a degree of self-awareness here. When a person lacks empathy, there is little to no attention placed on how another person would feel. The presence of empathy is critical because it is, in large part, what directs moral decision-making? Without it, someone like Sonny may just act on impulse or out of sheer curiosity or boredom. Sonny identifies over and over that he doesn't understand why he did this. It's just sort of happened. I don't really either... It's either I don't remember or I'm suppressing memory or there is no reason. Uh, being told this, there's not really much of a reason. So, like, an impulsive you knew you were going to get in trouble. Yes. You knew it was wrong. Yes. You knew you were going to get caught, mm-hmm. but you didn't care. Uh, yes. Altogether, the detective interviewing Sonny has acquired a significant amount of evidence. The only remaining missing puzzle piece is the motive. With enough material to charge Sonny, the question of his motive will be left to be uncovered during trial. All right, well... Give me just a minute on back, After the officer leaves, Sonny immediately goes back to talking to himself. Well, no, see, the 1060 would be... Oh, no, 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 yeah, we moved on from computers. It was holy. Enzo. No, not Enzo. Uh, Ryzen? Ryzen. That's what it's called. Uh, AMD's new AM4, DDR4, etc. architecture. I can't remember the chips that names really just important. I can't remember what they were. I think it was like, I don't know what it was. Yes, yeah, so, DDR4 update of age. I mean, it's sort of myth, but I don't know. It only takes three minutes for the officer to return and tell Sonny what charges he will officially be facing. All right, Christopher, you are going to be arrested, okay? You'll be arrested for murder. Yes. Murder for your sister. Uh, aggravated assault on your father for trying to shoot him as well, and then possession of a weapon near the commission of a felony, okay? You expect all that, though, correct? Yes. Okay. Well, we're going to move forward uh, in, in, with the charges, and I want to let you know that that's, as of right now, what you're going to be charged with, okay? Okay. So just hang tight. Someone will be with you shortly, and we'll get this underway as far as getting you transported to the jail and booked and everything like that, okay? Okay. All right.
Tragically, Ashley Kim succumbed to her injuries before the paramedics arrived. Emergency services attempted to resuscitate her, but they were unsuccessful. She was declared dead on the scene shortly after Sonny was arrested. In our conversation with Sonny's parents, they remembered their daughter fondly. She was the pretty girl that was nice. unmistakably yeah. not a mean girl. Yeah, she wasn't a mean girl. She had a good heart. Um, there's a lot of people that spoke at her funeral that said, you know, Ashley didn't have to be nice to me, but she did. She didn't hold grudges. She was a free bird, free spirit. She was a free spirit. She was. Full of love. You know, love's she the greatest was. power, and she was full of love. She was. She was very, she was very kind, very loving. Mm -hmm. Like I said, everybody loved she Ashley. She loved absurd things. Oh, she had a, she did. She had a terrible sense of humor about like what is it called a dark sense of humor she had the darkest sense of humor just like the most morbid things her and a sister of mine too she loved morbid that's the thing i miss most about like her laughing because she would giggle about like things that she's somebody you couldn't sit next to at a funeral you could not right. you sit over there because you have me laughing everyone's going to be looking at me <laughs> ashley loved people she saw the goodness in people she really really did so many times matter of fact she's who helped me forgive my ex-husband because I felt like he had really bailed on us. She was like, he wasn't ready to be a dad, Mom. She had such a forgiving spirit in her giggle. I always will never forget her giggle. I thought I would at one point. I was grieving. <laughs> she had a funny giggle, and she had love. And to honor her memory, I've, I choose love. I choose to forgive everyone who's made a mistake, not just Sunny. I choose to live Ashley's joy because she had joy because she chose forgiveness. Because, you know, that's weighty. An autopsy confirmed Sonny's claim that he had shot Ashley eight times. She had wounds on most parts of her body except for her head, including her arms, legs, and chest. Despite the extent of her injuries, her death was not immediate. It was determined that Ashley's lungs had filled with blood, and she'd perished while her parents attempted to administer CPR before the ambulance arrived. However, her injuries were so severe that it was unlikely Ashley could have survived even if help had arrived sooner. While their parents were likely grieving the massively traumatic death of one child at the hands of another, Sonny remains unbothered as ever. After learning of his sister's demise, Sonny simply checks his watch and goes back to talking with himself. Yeah, Netflix 4K was only like on Windows 10. By the way, it was on Windows 10, I'm sure I can gather information, and even if it's not telling you when it's Windows 10. My Catherine was right, because we've seen some blender. It's a blender. I'm not sure what. It's got animation. You can map it anywhere to even when officers arrived to take him to jail, he remained stoic. Small reticent. Christopher, he's uh, this deputy that's right behind you. He's going to take you up to our jail, get your fingerprinted and processed, and get the uh, get the jail paperwork started on your charges. Okay. Wants to be in your stuff, right? 
With Sonny detained, experts were left to ponder his blatantly absent motive. There seemed to be no reason for him to shoot and kill Ashley, and then attempt to kill his stepfather, Alan. So yeah, she was uh, my moral compass and my, my safety net and big sister, all of that. Experts could not come up with a full explanation for his actions, but they did develop a theory. It was possible that Sonny's abrupt, out-of-character violence was possibly caused by a psychotic episode. He didn't realize for a long time. It was probably eight months, maybe, before he even realized it. Most people will not like my answer, but the Sonny that night when this happened was my son's body, but it was not his spirit. Sonny was not there. Was there ever any kind of emotion on his face? Not for a year and a half. And, I, and it yeah. was bad enough that he basically, while he was in the juvenile hall, you know, waiting trial, he had no taste. Everything tasted like burning plastic. He had a psychological snap. Something happened. They took, explained to us later that everything yeah. tasted like burning plastic, all the food he was eating. So he the only thing eating. he could eat was plain dry cereal. That's what he lived on. Mm -hmm. Sonny apparently told a psychologist that his memory of the murder felt like watching someone else or looking into a parallel dimension. I felt like the strings had been cut, for lack of a better word. This is the textbook definition of a depersonalization episode. Although a psychotic episode is a possibility, Sonny isn't showing any indications of psychosis in the interrogation room. He may be talking to himself, but this could be due to stress or nervousness. It's not sufficient to conclude that he's psychotic. Sonny shows no signs of delusional thinking, and he doesn't seem to be responding to hallucinations. His thought process is logical and coherent overall, though he demonstrated indications of a developmental delay like autism spectrum disorder. Typically, psychotic episodes are preceded by changes in behavior that would have been evident to his parents or other adults, though this is not always the case. Sonny and Ashley's parents once again weigh in on this incredibly complicated aspect of the case. The thing I want people most to know is, is I know a lot of people have said since this has happened, you know, well, what about Ashley? And, and you know, why can you still be loyal to your son? I'm loyal to my son because, like I said, he was not there. It was not done in some kind of malicious intent. There was no fight. There was no argument. There was no fuss. There was only love between him and his sister. There was nothing crazy going on, nothing funny going on. It was just unbelievable that it happened. And it's hard for me to even believe it now, even though I was probably the best witness Absolutely. that was there the whole night that actually saw. I actually saw the most, heard the most pretty much knew the most because I knew what was going on from the sounds. I knew what it was. And I've stuck by Sonny. Me and his, his mom have stuck by Sonny, first off, because we love him and he's our son and we'd stick by him anyway. This was not something that, you know, was like in a fit of anger or it was not a planned out thing that, okay. uh, you know, that he hated her or he was jealous of her or any of the stuff that they Made tried to say. Mind. They Made tried to mind. say that, he was jealous because she was outgoing and he wasn't. I was a single mom and my ex-husband, I didn't have money. And he, this wonderful man wasn't in my life yet. And I think back about the time she had to babysit because I can afford a babysitter and be at my shop because she babysat him. He holds so many character traits of her. 
And I know other people want him destroyed, but he's all I have left of her. Additionally, while awaiting trial at Regional Youth Detention Center, Sonny reportedly harmed himself multiple times by slamming his head into the wall and biting himself so hard that he broke a tooth. Eventually, he was diagnosed by several doctors with Asperger's, along with undisclosed disorders that are similar to schizophrenia. As a result of this potential diagnosis, Sonny's defense team attempted to have his confession dismissed, claiming that it was not given when he was of sound mind. The judge ruled that while the diagnosis could be valid, a psychotic episode or any of Sonny's other diagnoses would not impede his intelligence. He allowed the video of Sonny's interrogation to be played in full. The Brazels were not pleased by this decision and maintained that some aspects of the case were mishandled from the beginning. A few minutes later, an investigator showed up and he was explaining the situation to me. He said, you know, we're going to take him down. He said, but we can't speak to him until his parents get there, you and your wife get there. It's crazy. They, they put him in the car. I never saw that, but I was in the front yard. Right. So they had already put him in the car by this time. They said, you know, they explained that they had to take him, you know, to, I guess, Columbia County Jail or whatever it was. So they took him to jail and uh, said, as soon as we finish up here, it's a, you know, we're going to call you and you'll have to come down so we can interview him, your son. But as you saw in the earlier footage, neither parent was present for Sonny's interrogation. Yeah, but by 8 o'clock, we, we realized they're not going to talk to us at all. And so it's weeks before we can get any conversation with them. They, they even, to get Sonny a public defender, because he, had, he went into the indictment with no attorney. It was No probably, parental support, nothing. He was in there on his own. But we were begging to try to go, but they wouldn't let us. It was probably, what, a year later before we actually saw the video? The first court session that we went to, we immediately started calling the police department and pretty much, you know, got no answers. They wouldn't really tell us anything. They told us that we couldn't talk to them because they charged him as an adult. And do you know that they didn't even give him a public defender for four weeks? Ultimately, in July of 2019, Sonny pleaded guilty by reason of mental illness to murder, aggravated assault, and two counts of possession of a firearm. He was sentenced to life in prison, plus 25 years, but will be eligible for parole in 30 years. Because he was convicted by reason of mental illness, he will continue to receive psychological counseling during that time. Sonny's parents continue to stand by him, and despite the terrible tragedy, the family has remained close. And he tells us all the time that he is very aware and very grateful that we are still his parents and that we love him and yeah. support him because he knows that there are a lot of people in there that lost all of their family ties and everything whenever whatever they did happened. He treasures it. He said, I want you all to know. He said, you can't ever know. He said, how much that I appreciate it and everything. He said of that you're still my mom and dad. You still support me. You never threw me away. You know, you never... He says he works so hard in there every day to be worthy of that. Right. In our exclusive interview, we asked Sonny if he remembered the day of his sister's death. I do. Yes. It was terrifying for me. It's the strangest feeling. It probably sounds ridiculous. I know it will. But when I walked into my room, the second I walked through my door frame, there was a shift. There's something different. I couldn't really... My body was moving, but I wasn't able to think. 
We asked how long it took for him to start processing what happened. I, I think I'm still struggling with it to this day. I suppose okay. for the vast majority of it, I didn't speak for those first three or four months when I was at the juvenile detention center. I, I still don't really know what to think. There's these times where I've broken down about it, but my brains like won't let me process it. Like every time I try and think about it, I still don't really process what's happened. I know empirically what's happened, but to this day, I don't understand why it happened. With this response in mind, we asked Sonny if he worried that a similar incident could happen again if he was released. Yes, absolutely. Okay. It's always there. I was kind of eager to accept a plea deal. I already kind of consoled myself with the thought that I'll be spending the rest of my life in prison, and I'm okay with that. And I, I don't really know if I want to be around my loved ones, knowing that something like this could happen. On a lighter topic, we asked Sonny to tell us a bit about his life now and what his days look like. We normally eat breakfast at about 7 o'clock in the morning. For me, that's when I wake up. My activities used to be different. I used to teach a math class, but nowadays mostly I just have self-studies, uh, write a few stories I like to read. I used to be really active going to the library. You know, uh, I've lost a lot of that energy now, and uh, most of my days are just spent idling, I suppose. We asked Sonny what people could learn from his circumstances, and he offered us some remarkable insight. If you do have a family member, a friend, son, daughter, child, whatever that is, uh, experiencing symptoms of disassociation, right? if they're too withdrawn from their environment or their surroundings, important that they be associated with something in the world. It's important to not let people get too far gone. Our final question was about Ashley and what Sonny would like all of us to know about her. She was one of those rare people in the world that cared out of her heart and she didn't do things out of some desire for potential gain or benefit. She cared for everyone, regardless of whether or not she knew them. I have a lot of great memories of my sister. I'd say if there was one thing I'd want to remember is that she was, she was the kind of people that is very rare, genuinely cared about people around them. I love it. I love it for it now. Now that I can truly appreciate what it means. We want to extend the utmost gratitude to Alan and Nicole Brazell for being so open and for allowing us to share their side of this heartbreaking case. <laughs>